Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Welcome to my favorite time of the week as part of this Inspiring Leadership in Challenging Times. And um, I've asked uh, John Cresswell, the CEO of the Bibiline Group, to join us today, share his experiences and stories, and he's got a, a great deal of wisdom. John's um, been at senior roles in many top organizations. Uh, he's been the COO and the interim CEO of ITV, seen that through some challenging times in the financial crisis. Uh, he's also been the CEO of Arkiva, uh, a technology and telecoms and media company, and, and now Bibiline Group with 213 years of experience and a real diverse range of businesses, a family-run business. So, John, over to you. Great to have you on board. Tell us a bit about yourself and, and Bibiline. Well, firstly, uh, thank you for inviting me, Jonathan. Uh, great to see you. Uh, so, Bibi is, uh, as you say, a 213-year-old family business. Uh, it's... Uh, still has the sixth generation involved and uh, hopefully we'll have the seventh generation involved. Always been headquartered in, in Liverpool, um, had its traditions in, in shipping uh, coming out of Liverpool, uh, post-slavery, I would I would add. They're very keen to uh, point that out. Um, and now we've diversified into five principal businesses. We have a, a quite remarkable uh, financial services business. We loan about a, a billion pounds a month to SMEs. Um, we're the largest independent uh, factoring business in the, in the UK. We own Costcutter, uh, which provides retail skills and wholesale uh, product to uh, 1,500 uh, convenience stores across the UK, which is obviously playing a big part at the moment. Uh, we have two shipping uh, accommodation uh, businesses. Uh, we have a logistics, uh, Bibi distribution, uh, warehouse and uh, distribution and we own Garrick, which is, uh, provides welfare accommodation um, to building uh, the building sector. Great. And John, you, so you know, it is pretty diverse. It certainly is. And you've been through a, a lot of challenges. Uh, you've seen teams you've been with struggle with difficult issues. Clearly, at the moment, while we're talking about the coronavirus and its impact on the economy and businesses and people's lives, that's one thing. But just we get these wicked problems, we get crises, we get things that uh, really challenge us. Uh, two, two areas I'm interested in. One, the sort of survive and thrive. The survive, what do you do about preparing and predicting or doing some risk management of things that could go wrong? And had you seen this kind of thing happening? And, and then secondly, how do you thrive? How do you respond when you actually have got the crisis? And how do you prepare a bit like we talked about in our days in the military? The Iraq war and people weren't thinking about the peace afterwards so how do you prepare now for emerging from it and coming out from the opportunities that will emerge in the different ways of working do you want to talk a bit about both of those surviving and thriving yeah so, so let's talk about surviving so look most most businesses have a risk register um, just as the government does I guess and the pandemic pandemic wasn't ours I'll be honest um, and I guess the challenge we we face with this particular uh, 
so it, it, it's it's affected you know not just nationally but globally and affected colleagues customers you know all at the same time so it's it's highly unusual so we started to do you know the jobs the ceo start to think about this early so generally in january we started thinking okay if this became real what could it be um were we fast enough probably not uh, and that's a, a, a kind of lesson learned uh, but really it's about you know understanding how you can prepare the organization for it and and, and doing some scenario planning and then you know as the situation develops which scenario do you find yourself in uh, and luckily we've done that we concentrated on three things keeping our colleagues safe uh, and, and their welfare being agile and flexible about our, our working with our customers and then thinking about liquidity and, uh, and, and cash now as we're moving through uh, exactly as you say we're starting to think about how do we how do we come out of this starting and there are two or three areas one is what have we learned i'm sure most people in business who are sitting at home working remotely will have you know started to pull together with their teams a few really good lessons of, of how we can work you know differently and hopefully better uh, in the future and uh, then how do we how do we bring colleagues who have been you know working at home sometimes for four or five weeks back into you know the business some have been furloughed some are working remotely some have been shielding you know some obviously sadly have been ill and so there's a lot of a lot of issues to start thinking around that that and that is our next phase we're starting that now thinking okay we're not sure when it will be but what are our issues going to be that we can see now so it is it is about you know planning and making it someone's day job yeah i think that's really good and you've reminded me of two things that came out very clearly from my 20 years in the military where we were always dealing with crises and problems and wars and things like that. One was AAR, after action reviews, and the second one was wargaming. The after action review, as soon as anything had happened, and Ben and I have talked about this before when we were at Cass Business School together in, in the classes we're doing on his exec MBA, that, that you, as soon as you have something, you get people together, what worked well, what will make it even better, what is our lessons from it? And people often fail to have these after action reviews at any stage and to learn from things. They're constantly moving on. They either worked or it didn't, and they sort of move on. But you've got to think what have we learned what are we going to learning and action those two things the second one was wargaming we used to have what we would call a bird table a large table where we'd have the map of the uk or something like that and we'd move different counters and pieces on it like in one of those sort of raf films from the second world war with people pushing different pieces <laughs> but everybody's standing around playing different uh, emergency planning organizations or the police the fire the service the army uh, what would happen and, and what were we dealing with? And I think wargaming or scenario planning is is key. Any thoughts that come up on after action reviews and wargaming from your point of view, John? Well, uh, look, scenario planning, we're absolutely in that at the moment. And uh, just saying, okay, so three weeks ago or a month ago, what do we think the world may look like? What have we learned? What's different? So how do we adjust our scenario? You know, we may have thought we'd be back at the end of May. What happens in September, uh, you know, end of the year? So scenario planning and being able to adjust and looking at leading indicators to say, okay, so if, if something is 
trending that way, what are the triggers we look out for when we have to take the next action? Yeah. And, and I guess as a CEO, my job is to look for the iceberg. So I, I often find myself playing Jonah in the meetings by saying, yeah, but what if? Don't be complacent. Let's think about the worst case. And if we can deal with the worst case and anything above that is, is better. So it is challenging uh, the teams to often take slightly tougher decisions or have a plan for a tough decision than they may, uh, they may want to take themselves. Brilliant, John. Thank you. And, and later on, we're going to talk in part two, we're going to talk about your life and your father, who was an inspiring leader. But um, you had one particular leader who you described as inspiring, coped well in crises. Who, who would that be? And do you want to talk about the qualities? Yeah, so um, the, the person I've, I've chosen who I worked for for many years is, is Charles Allen, who's now Lord Allen. Um, and it was a difficult time in ITB. We'd had, a, a, a again, you, you've got a difficult uh, ad revenue uh, time and, and Charles was, was stepping down from the business. But all through the, the difficult times, the way he carried himself and the way that he gave others confidence in the future, I, I now, you know, can understand what it would have taken personally for him to have done that. Uh, so he was always positive, never let, you know, I'm sure he was racked with uh, the same, you know, challenges and, and anxieties, but he just led from the front. And certainly as, as he was leaving uh, the organization, which he, created you know helped to create it spent you know 15 years of his life doing it um he was fantastic it was all about the company all about the team nothing about him and i just thought it was a a very remarkable both you know public display of leadership mm. to allow an organization uh, you know to continue on yeah very, very special and also leaders need great teams and Think of a time when you were with a really good team who worked together well, collaborated, looked after each other. They weren't toxic teams. They were a really good, inspiring team in, in a crisis, in a challenge. Which, which would you choose? Well, I've been lucky. I've worked in, in, with some fantastic people, for some fantastic people and with some fantastic people. I guess the thing about a crisis is it gives you a goal. And it's a very clear goal, you know, and you can set those goals, which are generally about, you know, surviving and, uh, you know, managing through the, the least um, collateral damage. Uh, so getting the best outcome. So the one I would choose is when the financial crisis hit ITV in 08, 09, and suddenly, um, you know, our ad revenue fell through the floor, quite frankly, uh, just 20 or 30% down month on month. And we didn't know how long that was continued. So as an exec team, we, um, we pulled together. Uh, but I had two people, we had an inner cabinet. Uh, there were three of us really, um, had a fantastic strategy uh, director who I worked with, Carolyn Fairburn, Dame Carolyn Fairburn now, who's a DG of the CBI, and the finance director uh, at the time who went on to do a terrific job for ITV, uh, Ian Griffiths. And they, we were very supportive, we challenged it, challenged each other we had different you know skills and you know we worked it through and i think having that and with the wider executive team at the time uh you know were able to take that business through uh, kind of 
existential crisis, really. Mm, mm. Um, and, and that was good it would, because there were, you know, you had to leave your ego outside the door and you had to think of other people um, and, you know, support each other, but being able to challenge and support and then, you know, get on and execute yeah, very and good. take an organization with you. Great. And John, people, as well as hearing about teams and inspiring leaders, we always love a good story. We don't want to be too serious in these desperate times. We always need a bit of levity. And uh, I, I think of uh, sort of military humor and when things go bad and how people keep, keep cheerful. But um, what about your, your stories that would make, make you smile when you think back to them, how people handle things? What, what, was, uh, what were the couple of stories you'd share? So assuming I'll have to use some political correctness on the language and some of them I won't share. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was one at our, our Kiva where uh, I joined in uh, 2011. Uh, then it, uh, we were running the uh, digital switchover uh, from analog to digital for the whole of the UK uh, for free-to-air TV and radio, uh, which was a 600 million multi-year project and you know, very technically uh, complex. And just after it, the start of 2012, I got a phone call to say we've had a fire at the Crystal Palace transmitter. I said, okay, well, so, you know, can we fix it? It's not supposed to be switched over to April or May. And they said, yes. Anyway, then the next day I get a call from the, the Secretary of State, uh, DCMS, and then uh, one from the Chief Executive Ofcom asking me what the status was. I really hadn't appreciated the uh, severity of the situation because what it meant if we hadn't got Crystal Palace switched at that time, not only did it you know, cover the maximum about 15 million households or something, 12 million probably in the UK, but also when it switched over, it allowed the spectrum for broadcasters to use for the Olympics, which were coming later that summer. So I suddenly realized was at stake. Anyway, had a fantastic engineer uh, who led the team. So I uh, man-marked uh, the, the top of the organizations were uh, stakeholders and he, he ran everything else. And um, I said, okay, Peter, I don't, I'm not an engineer, I know nothing about this. Can we do it? What, on a scale of one to 10, what do you think? And he said, nine. I thought, well, well, that's pretty good, isn't it? He's an engineer. He's not going to, you know, he's data-driven. He's not going to fib anyway. Afterwards, we did it. We did it. And they did a terrific job. And afterwards, I said, Peter, thank you so much for giving me confidence. And he, I said, because I didn't know what was going on, what? You know, by giving me 9 out of 10, that was uh, terrific. It gave me a huge amount of confidence because I trust you implicitly. And he said, well, of course, it wasn't 9. Oh, God. What was it then? He said, well, actually, John, it was nine and a half. But I didn't want to appear cocky at the time because I thought you wouldn't have believed me. You know, <laughs> look, it's not, it's, you know, it, I think the story is, you know, you've got to trust the people you trust. You cannot, I think often it's the temptation in a crisis is to delve down and get right into the detail. But my job, you know, was to say, right, Peter, I trust you. I can't do your job. I've got to stay up here and, you know, keep up, you know, on the balcony or the bridge, whatever you want to call it. And just, who do I manage? Well, okay, I can manage the Secretary of State, I can manage my chairman, and I can manage the CEO of Ofcom. And keep those lines of communication open and you get on and solve the problem. 
Very good. Very good advice. I love it. I love the story. And what was the second story? Um, no, we talked about it then. I can't remember what it is now. It'll come back to us. We'll come back it to us. But while we're doing that, we'll talk about it in part two with your dad. Obviously, you've been in, um, in real sort of high pressure um, environments and positions for, for, for some time. What's the, what's the one thing that you have to do that, 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 um, that keeps you, keep you sane and healthy? Uh, it, exercise. Um, it, it's probably a paradox, but when I'm more stressed, I'm probably healthier, really, because <laughs> I need that uh, you know, release of whether it's a, a run, a cross-train in the gym, out on my bike, I just need that release of just not being in front of a screen, not having a phone with me and just out there, um, you know, letting my mind wander and think things through. And if I don't have that, then my tendency is just to work harder and harder and harder. And really you just, you know, kind of pulling yourself down. So I need to exercise, get out, fresh air. Yeah, otherwise it pulls down. It may not look it, it may not look it, everything's relative. Looking great, John. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so the second one um, is on on wealthy. So uh, I just want to know any piece of advice that you've had or that you give about money that you you've um, really found useful. So look, I think on a you know in in business, it's all about how you allocate your resources. And so I, I have a phrase which is you can only spend a pound once. So, you know, you've got to choose where you want to allocate those resources for the best return because you can't fulfill everything. And actually, one of management's key tasks is the allocation of resources. And therefore, you know, you've got to be as efficient and as productive as possible, which gives you more opportunity to spend that one pound on something that's going to create value. Great advice. Good, strong. Um, so the, the, the third and final one is on, um, on wisdom. So is there a piece of wisdom, a motto or a, a creed though that you use to, or strive um, to use to live your life by? Yeah, so uh, over the years, I think uh, the one thing that I always try and do is, uh, and in private and uh, professional life, is control the controllables. That there, there will be things that happen to me that are outside of my control, whether that's in business or personal. You know, the, the pandemic is one of those. I can't control them. How? What? What is it under my control? And you know, so just as you know, staying healthy, I know that in the day I can control. You know, what I eat. Well, I can't. I don't really. I'm not very disciplined. In that. You know, how much exercise I get. You know, how many hours I spend in front of a screen. You have to try and control those things and get the balance right. And then, you know, how one reacts to a, to a particular situation. Uh, you know, so control the controllables. Don't sweat the small stuff and don't worry about things that I cannot control. It's taken, it took a long while mm. to learn that, I think. Fantastic pieces of advice. I love it. Love it. Um, so we've got a question here from um, Don McIntyre. So he says, um, do you have any tips for a leader in a discipline such as cybersecurity on how they can influence the board, ensure they are aware of risks, and ensure they take this seriously and invest in 
in it to the right level. Good to hear from Dom. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, great question. Um, first, I'm surprised that any board in the UK doesn't take cybersecurity seriously. But if you're, if you're struggling with that, I think that the thing about cyber is, you know, it, it's, it's an arms race, really, because the more that we uh, build our security, the, the, the greater the threat becomes. Uh, for me, it, it, I always start with, you know, where are we today? And how do we benchmark against our peers? There are government standards, there are, you know, uh, certification levels you can get on levels of security. So the first thing that I would do uh, is to assess where we are and say to the board, right, actually, you know, this is what good looks like. We're here or we're here. And depending on where we are, that's the level of risk. And, you know, what, what are we, as a board are we going to, to do about that and that's got to drive the level of investment but it's always starting to assess where we stand today and then you know making the argument about going forward benchmarking is is really really important there are plenty of uh, opportunities uh, you know government websites will send set certain levels you can get some consultants in who will help benchmark for you mm. but then you know just building the case because it you know you could spend a you know, a, a huge amount, but having, yeah. where are we today? What, where do we think we should be? And what's the road to get there? And what's it going to cost? And the risk reward of doing it or not doing it. And there's a second part to his, his question, which is quite interesting because he, he, he makes the observation that um, when a, a cyber team, for example, are being really successful, um, the, the, um, the demonstration of success is actually nothing happening. So how do you, keep that investment going and, and prove that it's, it's um, doing its, uh, doing its job when the, the proof of the pudding is we're not getting any, <laughs> having any problems. Look, I, I think it's, uh, it is just to keep reiterating, you know, success, pre success. Well, if we're, we're doing something right, so we need to do more of it, you know, if it's a positive thing and it's helping, I would, I mean, one of the, things as soon as we started remote working we made everyone re-go through their uh cyber training security because the number of phishing attacks and emails we had in the first two weeks just went off the scale really, really? yeah even my chairman my chairman sent me an email and said what is it you want to talk about and i said i've got he said about this this acquisition <laughs> <laughs> what, what acquisition? And, we're talking about. and uh, yeah, we had two, you know, it just, uh, my, someone, uh, you know, there are so many attacks coming now mm. that I just think you've got to just keep reinforcing and reinforcing and that benchmarking. Okay. If, yeah. you know, the world is moving up, we're all becoming better at it mm. and, and making sure, you know, back down the supply chain and, you know, everywhere that you're, your perimeter is as secure as it can be and you know your colleagues you're in the business um you know your first line of defense and they've got to understand what that what that means mm. great it's fantastic yeah. so just um fi final um uh, question so so obviously baby line have been around for, for for over 200 years which is um an amazing achievement for for, for any business um so they've uh, experienced 
a number of wars. They've experienced a number of economic downturns. They've even experienced um, a, a global pandemic before in um, 1918. Is there anything that modern businesses should learn from a, a business like the Bimini Line Group um, about achieving that sort of longevity? Well, the, the family would probably be the better people to ask. I, I kind of worked out if I was, if, I, if I'm, if I worked there for five years, I'll probably be like a three-line sentence in the book of the two hundred years. <laughs> yeah, but I think um, look, they think long term. Okay, uh, they assess risk, and they have very strong values. And so. Uh, you know, the values that we espouse, you know, come back to it, you know, great colleague engagement, how we, you know, treat our colleagues, fantastic customer service. If you've got very good uh, colleague engagement and you have great uh, customer, uh, you know, net promoter score, customer engagement, those two factors are great sustainability factors for taking any business through because, uh, if you've got those two things working with you, that even through the downtimes, your your colleagues will stay loyal and committed, and hopefully, you know, your customers will give you a bit of leeway because of the service uh, that you're providing them. If you if you don't have both those things, I think your chances of getting through a crisis are, are much tougher. Mm. And if I could just come in, John, and build yeah. on what you said, um, if you haven't read yet, um, we always you and I talk about different books that are worth reading. Um, and, and Ben and I do too. Uh, Simon Sinek writes um, some very good material on uh, why, getting to why, but his recent book, which I'm enjoying as an audio book, is The Infinite Game. And that some, many companies at the moment are playing the finite game. Think about this quarter or maybe this, this half year. And, and they're making all these decisions, laying people off, slashing, burning, just to stay alive. Whereas someone like Bibby Line Group plays the infinite game, it thinks about the next generation and the generation after that. And we saw that, John, you also know C. Hoare and Co. with Alexander and the family thinking about those generations. And I'm a member of the Goldsmiths Company, which is 700 years old, and we think long term. So I think in many ways, Bibby Line Group with the infinite game, that view of the longer game, um, is far healthier for all stakeholders rather than just shareholders making as much cash as they can Stripping, burning, whatever it might be. What's your thought? Infinite versus finite game. Well, look, I, I think. Well, so look, family businesses are, are, are different because they they have uh, the disadvantage that you can't automatically raise capital because it's quite a rights issue from the family, which either they have the money or they you know they have to kind of uh, lose uh, dilute their their shareholding. But on the second hand, they don't, you know, not all of them will need a, an ongoing level of return like a public company may do. So they're, they're, they're pros and cons. And I think, you know, at the moment, depending on which sector you're in, you know, some companies have to slash and burn. ITV in 08 or 09, we had to lose a lot of staff, sadly, because, you know, we just did not have the liquidity uh, to get through. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily criticize people for doing that however i think where you know a, a company like bibi has been successful over the years and they've ridden so many different you know cycles is they are prepared to have fallow years whilst they rebuild i think in the public sector 
or the you know the private sector, the PLC world, top FTSE 100, you don't get that chance. You don't get that chance really, which is why some companies are better taken private and you know kind of re-transformed or transformed and then put back onto the market because it's very difficult to do it in a in, yeah. a, in a public space. So final question um, from from the feed. Um, this is a slightly different different one. It's from um, Venkat um, Sai. And um, he's just starting out his, his career. So he's um, just out of university and obviously um, hitting a really hard job market, um, an almost impossible um, job market at the moment. And he's just asking for any advice um, for a new starter like himself. Um, firstly, meeting a job market like this and how to be um, looking at being successful um, in, in his career. Okay, so I do uh, one of the things that gives me a huge amount of pleasure. I do something called Speakers for Schools, where I go and talk to kids that generally underprivileged state schools. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a kind of four or five pieces of advice for, for people. So with Bank at the moment, if it's a, it is a really difficult job market, don't give up, don't lose hope. Okay, it, it can, you know, there'll be a job out there for you. It may take a bit of a while, but, you know, you will, everyone. You'll, you'll get one. I'm, I'm confident of that. I think once you get in, uh, you know, some of the things. So first, be polite and respectful to everyone up and down the chain. Okay. So that is first rule. Just respect everyone. They come to do their job. Uh, so that, that, that kind of is, is rule one. Rule two is um, uh, never stop asking questions. Okay, so don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, we kind of spend the first few years of our life asking why the sky is blue, the grass is green, and we get into meetings, and we sit there, we've got no idea what's going on, no idea what an acronym means. And you sit there, never, I, I yeah. have to- We've got a million head. acronyms at LinkedIn that yeah. do- that, that. I don't understand what that means. Hmm. Can you explain what that means? You know, otherwise it's pointless. Uh, so don't stop asking questions. Um, volunteer. Uh, I've got had two, uh, two of the kind of most you know, greatest fun and, and opportunities I've had in my career are through volunteering and actually being proactive and say, "Look, can I help you?" Believe me, as a CEO, not many people come and say, "Can I help you?" They they bring you problems <laughs> rather than pay. So, you know, that's always just really important. Um, and then, you know, if someone asks you to do something and you don't understand or you can't do it, say up front. Don't wait two weeks and say, I'm sorry, I didn't have time. Just say, okay, can you just really explain what it is you want so I'm, I can deliver what it is you want and by the way, this is the time frame and then deliver it. So there's, you know, certain things uh, and don't gossip. Don't be an office gossip and don't play politics. Yeah. And, fantastic. And jo- fantastic. Those are really good. Just staying with it for a minute, John, I think there's a really good points that you, you've shared. Uh, and really to build on it with an, another bit of wisdom I picked up from Earl Nightingale. Earl Nightingale uh, was a newsreader in America, and um, he said that in the 1929 depression, and this will be a depression that we're going to go through now, people were desperate for a job. Just give me, I'll do any job. Just give me a job. I, I want a job. Give me, give me. They didn't get jobs. But he said there was a few people that he knew that always got jobs. And the reason they got a job was they actually studied, rather than a shotgun effect everywhere, they studied 
about three organizations and they really researched. Now in those days, they didn't have the internet, but they used their contacts, people who worked there, they found out as much as they could about the CEO's problems and what was keeping him awake at night. And, and literally had the goal to, to try and somehow get to see that person and say, I've been studying your, your organization. I know about some of the problems you've got and I've got one or two ideas that might be helpful. Could we meet for half hour for a coffee? And in nearly all cases, he had the meeting. And in nearly mm. all cases, when he was at the meeting, he offered to work for free for the first month. So let me work for free. And if I'm of value, please take me on and start paying me. If not, I will have learned a lot for you. But whether you can do that in the current climate and all the rules and regulations about, you know, you can't take interims on who aren't paid and all that kind of stuff. But the point was, don't be desperate about it. Research your company, know your target. And we used to say in the military, know your enemy and, and offer something which adds value and solves the problem that's keeping them awake. What's your thoughts, John? Uh, yeah, well, uh, look, well uh, I agree. And to build on that, my, if I say to the, when I'm talking to these kids and asking the questions, it comes back control of controllables about what you can do. So, you know, this is now they're, they're younger, so they're, you know, going for internships and, and, and you know, jobs. I say, right, you can control what time you get there. Okay, don't ever be late because you can, you know, do your route the day before. You control what you look like. Are you smart? Are your shoes clean? Because you may not think those things matter. They matter. The obvious questions, you're going to get asked some really obvious questions. Test them with each other. You know, do your research exactly. What is the job? You know, do you know who this person is? If you, you know, use so much information you can find on, on the internet about companies and you know, issues. So those are things you can control. And if they let you down, then, you know, it's your kind of, you know, it's on your own back, really. Great advice. Um, a bit about your, your life, John. If you were to just pick out one or two bits from your life and the experiences in challenging times that shaped you as the leader you are, because the lovely thing about you is you're very modest about the way you inspire people. Quiet, thoughtful, more of the introvert rather than the brash extrovert, which, interestingly enough, many... Uh, very successful leaders are much more introverts than extroverts. They don't have to be like Donald Trump, thank God. Um, but what would you talk about your life and your experiences in challenging times? What's what shaped you? And talk also about your dad. Look, I think um, yeah, a lot of people are shaped by the, the, the people around them you know, in their early years. Uh, I think, you know, certainly for myself and my brothers, we're very fortunate. My father, um, you know, started off from very humble beginnings you know, and just had a work ethic and a ethos that, you know, uh, let him, you know, get to university, um, you know, and then have a terrific career at IBM, you know, so he went from living in, uh, you know, the south of England to then, you know, traveling the world within, you know, having never been outside the country, probably still, you know, traveling across the US, living in the US. So he was... Um, uh, you know, and he uh, yeah, had a very strong faith and uh, was good at many sports. So it's sickening in a way, but, uh, <laughs> but no, so he was a real uh, role model, a real role, role model um, for, for, all, for me and, and, and my brothers. And, uh, and I think we, I, you know, took, I, I've always tried with everyone I've worked for um, to try and pick out what is good and what is bad. And I've been very fortunate to work, you know, in creative industries with people who are completely different from me. You know, they are, 
uh, you know, flamboyant, they're creative, uh, you know, they're, they're inspirational in, in how they, they lead teams. And I think I've, I've hopefully tried to learn some of the good things. I'll, I'll tell you, my first uh, job when I left, I qualified as an accountant with what is now KPMG, and I went into a, um, a TV company, one of the regional TV companies. And I think I've been there about four months. And uh, it was getting up to results day, and the CEO came on all the TVs. They could play all the TV screens through the building. And he came on, and uh, he said, uh, well, it's really tough times. Advertising is very difficult. You know, we're going through a recession, low inflation, blah, blah, blah. So we're all going to have to tighten our belts. And it's going to be, you know, a bit serious and a bit tough. But I can't stay long because the helicopter's waiting to take me to London. Okay. And at that moment, everyone knew it wasn't that serious. You know, or there was no leadership in saying, you know, I just thought you've got to walk the talk. And as a leader, everything that you do is is watched and you know whether it's the phrase the shadow shadow that we cast but people will watch how you know leaders in organizations behave and you know if if they aren't being authentic or they're not uh following through on what they say and leading by example i, I think it becomes apparent very very quickly and i think from you know going back to my father he was always you know very consistent about the values that he had yeah it's a, it's a, a very powerful story and what about your learning from dark times and maybe when you got things badly wrong as a leader what did you learn from that and how has that shaped you today as a leader from from picking up and learning from the mistakes you've made or difficult times you've had yeah that the everyone makes mistakes and you're going to fail you know i kind of um whether that's you know the, the organization fails and you, you're made redundant or you you know your job comes to an end or you're taken over and you've got no nowhere to go uh it is it is tough you can't be afraid well you will fail everyone will fail and everyone will have knockbacks and it's how you bounce back really um so I went through a very difficult time. Uh, uh, my my elder brother died. I was having a difficult personal life, and, and then my you know both my parents died, and I guess that was probably the blackest time. Um, and you know you've got to you know somehow you know push your way through it really, and and find out what are those things that you know you can hold on to. Uh, for me, work was one of them uh you know i started a, a new job partly way through that uh so that was something to throw myself into you know keeping fit and then having the support of friends and family and not being afraid to ask for advice yeah you know i think that's the other thing because you know it's seen you know you you go it's you know and i guess people of my generation condition you know you you you're, nowadays we're encouraged to show vulnerability well believe me when you're at school the last thing you wanted to do was show vulnerability because you know people would just <laughs> kind of hone in on it and uh, your life will become miserable um but now i think it is right to talk about these things because everyone you know everyone is going going through them you know no one the facade that people may look at perfect lives, but everyone is, is going through something. Robin Williams said, you know, be kind to everyone. You don't know what they're going through. Very wise. And, 
And I think in terms of mistakes, I think the things that I've learned are, and, and some of the things that, you know, people like, you know, Charles Allen, who I picked out, just understood people. You know, just really understood people. And I think previously, when I was going through tough times, I probably wasn't as understanding of how, you know, the impact on others as I, I could have been. Yeah. Really, yeah. probably could have been a bit brutal. So let's, before we hand over to Ben for any final questions and the wrap up with Ben's question about uh, your recommended book, um, what, what about, what would be one of the highlights of your life uh, and your career and, and what, why was it so special to you? Oh, I've, I've had so many, I've been so fortunate. Um, gosh, 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 highlights. All, all, it's when a team, when you set a goal and you work with a team and you've come through a difficult period and you kind of succeed together. And, and that can be, Markiva, we did a big refinancing, you know, the pride in the team of doing the digital switchover, ITV, you know, so many amazing creative people and the success uh, that they had, you know, on screen and worldwide. And they, you know, through some really difficult times. I'll tell you one example, which was uh, uh, very early in my career, uh, when I was um, part of the ITV system, we, we made a program called Hornblower. Yeah. And um, Hornblower was, at the time, the most expensive drama made for TV, but unintentionally, okay, because it went uh, hugely over budget. So it's being filmed in the Crimea, and now, you know, the Russian winters had seen off Napoleon, Stalin, you know, they, were they going to see us off? So anyway, the schedule got behind and the, uh, the, the exec producer, a fantastic lady called uh, Michelle Buck, came and said, look, we've got a problem. So it's going to cost us £2 million more to make this show over budget. So we're going to lose £2 million. And she said, oh, we could stop now and write off the £2 million that we have spent. So I thought, well, that's, you know, what a great choice that is. So anyway, we went ahead, we went ahead and we, uh, I, I kind of made the case to the uh, board that we should go ahead and, and overspend by 2 million, because at least then we had something to show for it at the end of it. And, uh, and that was a great uh, learning for me. Uh, so I backed the team, uh, and we, we did it, and it actually was extremely successful. And uh, there were three or four series of it with uh, Robert Lindsay and Ewan Griffith. But um, and we did get a lot of flack from the, the group CEO. It was quite tough, actually, and it was quite tough on us. But when we, we won an Emmy or something, anyway, we gave it to him to put in his office. <laughs> and uh, so I learned, I learned two or three lessons. What about managing up? And... Uh, Success has many fathers, and um, then uh, you know, just about backing a team and taking some, you know, some tough decisions. But it didn't feel it didn't feel funny at the time, but anyway. <laughs> but sort of final question, John. Um, everybody loves a, a book recommendation. It'd be great to get your your um, your current recommendation. Uh, something that might have been formative in your in your in your life, or just something you're reading right now. Okay, well, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two, Ben. So the Good. first is, is, is Bleak House, um, which was a book I had to read uh, for my A-levels. 
Uh, not only is it 900 pages, which I managed to get through, but I think in, in terms of storytelling and, you know, the narrative, uh, the art, uh, story arcs and the characters and built in is still the best, you know, most complete novel I've, I've ever read. Um, so I'd recommend that to everyone, particularly if you've got a few hours to spare while you've been locked down. Right for um, lockdown, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second is uh, The Chimp Paradox. Um, and uh, I read that when I was going through a bit of a dark time, probably about seven or eight years ago now. And I wish I'd read it 10, 15 years earlier, uh, because it just really helped me to understand and get things in perspective and, you know, build a philosophy around that and not get, you know, the chimp sitting on my shoulder jabbering away at me. So I would recommend that to, to anyone. So Venkat, people looking for jobs at the start of your career, I wish I'd read that at the start of my career. It might not have been as, well, may have helped me uh, cope with some of the, the pressures that you have. Yeah, great yeah. recommendation. So did, did, did that change your behavior at all? I know it did when I, when I read it. Yeah, it did. Absolutely. Well, it started to explain you know, I thought it's a great book because it can make the complex, puts the complex into kind of simple language and the concepts. And it really did. And so when I get those paranoias now, um, you know, I think, well, hold on, just stand back, take a breath. What are you really dealing with? And what are you, what assumptions are you making or hypotheses are you building? Mm. And, you know, just don't fly off the handle or believe it. Well, John, can I just say on behalf of Ben and myself, thank you very much. Great to have you on the series. Thanks, guys. And thank you, John. Pleasure. Thank you both. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed. What are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.